So question this morning is, what do you want from Jesus? What do you really want from Jesus? And by that I mean, like, if you're like a long-time churchgoer, what is it that makes you stick around? What's it make, what makes you stick around the church? Or if maybe you're relatively new to the church or even to Jesus, what is it that brought you here? What are you looking for? What do you want from Jesus? I believe the answer to that question could be many things, right? And it could be a hard thing to answer. It may be even something that you haven't really thought about that deeply. The answer could also possibly even change with different seasons of life. It may be that I want community. It may be that I want to serve. It may be that I want to learn the Bible. Or maybe I want like a positive environment for my kids. Or I want my kids to know the Bible. And I want my kids to know more about Jesus. Or I want a place to pray. Or I want a place to worship. I want to know how to live my life in a way that's going to be pleasing to God. Or maybe you need help in one way or another. Or maybe you need healing, whether that's physically, spiritually, or emotionally, and you've just kind of come to Jesus, you've come to church, and you're kind of wondering if Jesus can help you. Chances are that some of us identify well with some of those things. We've come to church, we've come to Jesus for some of those, maybe many other, many more reasons. And so this morning, we're going to talk about why Jesus came and why he ultimately wants you to come to him or what it is that he wants you to want from him. This week we're in John chapter 6. We've been going through the gospel of John. We're in chapter 6. And in this chapter, there's, there's basically four sections. The first section is the story of Jesus. It's a famous story. Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few fish and barley loaves. The second section is where the disciples that night cross over the sea and when there's a storm and then Jesus walks out onto water to them. And then the final two sections kind of cover when the crowd catches back up to Jesus and what Jesus has to say to those crowds and then also what Jesus has to say to his disciples. And honestly, this is an easy chapter to break up into sort of a few weeks worth of sermons, um, just kind of taking each section at a time. However, this morning we're going to go ahead and, and just tackle the whole chapter um, as one unit because it actually all goes together. John is really telling one whole story here. And in the telling, John's letting us in on why Jesus truly wants us to come to him. What Jesus ultimately wants you and I to want from him. So let's go ahead and get into it together we're going to read this first section. It's John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. If you have a Bible, you could follow along with me. If not, you should be able to follow along with us on the screen. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
And Philip answered him, 200 denarii. And just so you know, that's about eight months worth of daily wages, right? Philip says 200 denarii, eight months worth of daily wages worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, that's Simon Peter's brother, he said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. <clears throat> Excuse me. We've mentioned over the last uh, couple weeks, as we've been going through uh, these last couple chapters of John, that over the next several chapters, this next section, uh, John walks through several stories where Jesus interacted directly with the different feasts and the festivals of the Jews in order to reveal to them that he was in fact the Messiah, that he was the very one that all of those feasts and all of those festivals were looking forward to. Last week, Jesus stepped into the Sabbath, proclaiming his lordship over it and really proclaiming that true rest is found only in him. True Sabbath is found only in Jesus. And this week's story is built around the Passover feast. Maybe you caught that, John 6, 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So what's the significance of the Passover in this story? Well, you can find the story of the first Passover. It's back in uh, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. But essentially, when Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God and would not let the Hebrew people go who were enslaved in Egypt, God determined that the last of several plagues would be to take the firstborn of everyone and everything in the land of Egypt, even their livestock. But in order to spare the Hebrew people of this plague, he told them to slaughter a lamb, one for each household, and to prepare it and to eat it, to have a feast. And then to take some of its blood and paint it on the doorposts of their homes as a sign. And then here's what happened. Whoever's home had the blood of the lamb painted on the doorpost, the firstborn of their homes was spared. They were passed over by the angel of death. And then as the people left Egypt, God told his people to continue to observe the Passover throughout their generations. So the Passover feast remembers that first Passover, which was the first Jewish feast. It was instituted by God in order that his people would always remember how he had saved them and how he had called them out of Egypt. And a big part of that uh, celebration, that continued observance, centered around the slaughtering of a lamb in each household for the feast. So as turkey is synonymous with thanksgiving to us, lamb was synonymous with the Passover. The two just went together in their minds. So I just want to keep the Lamb of Passover in our minds. John's already introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away our sins earlier in this book, and we're going to come back to that. But here, in the part we just read, 
It's the feast that is significant, right? Jesus recognized the opportunity to make himself more fully known, so he provides a a feast out of just these fish and few barley loaves. And it's an absolute wonder. It's an absolute miracle. The 5,000 people that are numbered here, that's the number of men in the crowd. But most would agree that Jesus that day actually fed over 20,000 people when you take women and children into account. And then there were leftovers. Everybody had their fill. It was truly an extraordinary thing. I asked at the beginning what it is that we wanted from Jesus. What do we want from Jesus? But what we find straight away in this story is that the crowds were following Jesus because of his healings, because of his signs on the sick. And they wanted more of that. They wanted more of it. And now they've eaten this like miraculous feast that he gives. They've got what they came for. Miraculous signs and wonders, but now they want something else. They want something more. Let's continue to read this. John six fourteen through 21. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, His disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. There's a couple of things to look at here. Let's talk first about why Jesus withdrew. John says that Jesus perceived they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And Jesus obviously is not on the same page with them, and so he withdraws. Here again, we have to understand that the Passover feast was a really big deal. Some have likened it to like our Independence Day in the United States. We in the U.S., we celebrate on July 4th, 1776, the day that we gained our freedom. And the Jews at Passover were celebrating their own liberation that had come so, so long before. So we might grill and have fireworks and stuff like that on the 4th. They prepared a lamb And they feasted together, remembering how God was on their side and how he came for them. But Passover was much bigger than our Independence Day, right? Because they were remembering not only how God had saved them once so long ago, but that he had promised to do it all again and once and for all. They would have a king for eternity. The nations would one day be blessed through them. And so you can imagine that maybe during the Passover celebration for a bunch of folks who are under the yoke of Rome and they want out, they're looking for it to happen again and soon. And so the time of this holiday, it raises their anticipation. It raises their hopes. And then Jesus shows up saying he's the long-expected Messiah, saying that he came from God and he's healing the sick. And now he's fed 20,000 people with bread and fish. See, Jesus steps into that Passover as the one that they were waiting for. 
and they get excited. Like 20,000 people are ready to revolt against Rome with their new leader. This could be the time that they've always waited for. This is what they want from Jesus. They want freedom from the Roman Empire, restoration as a nation, a king who can make it happen. But this isn't how Jesus wants them to come to him. What they want from Jesus isn't what Jesus wants them to want from him, and it isn't what he came for. So Jesus withdraws, and he goes off by himself. himself. And then the other thing that happens here is that that night, the disciples get in a boat, they go across the sea, and the sea gets rough three or four miles out. This account, this account is in other Gospels as well. It's even more detailed in some of them. But Jesus comes to the disciples in the midst of the storm, walking on the water, and they're frightened. But he calls them. He says, it's I. Do not be afraid. And he gets in the boat, and then the storm ceases, and they are there where they were going. That's crazy. That's a crazy night. And I can't break all that down right now for us, but I want to say this, and that is, again, it took place at the time of the Passover. And looking back, when the Hebrew people left Egypt, God instituted the Passover feast. Then, as they left, he parted the Red Sea for them to walk through it, and then he commanded the waters to fall back down on their enemies. And then on the other side of the water, he gave them bread from heaven. One, he instituted the Passover. Two, he commanded the Red Sea. And then three, he gave them the bread from heaven. And it's all right there in that order. Now, John's storytelling is deep. It's got layers. And this chapter in John, it it parallels those events that happened in Exodus perfectly right? The Lamb of God who takes away our sin, Jesus, gave people a feast. Then he walked on the waters and he commanded the sea. And then on the other side, Jesus' proclamation, which we're going to get to in a moment, is that he is the bread of life. He is the bread from heaven. I don't really credit John with this, honestly. I don't think this is John just making great literary parallels. Perhaps it's only when we actually actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just some wizard or magical being, and this just isn't somebody's good retelling of his life. We can actually begin to see his real genius. I believe that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and what he was doing was meant to speak and meant to proclaim something about himself directly to the crowds, even more intimately to the 12 disciples, and even to us today. Let's skip down to when the crowd catches up with Jesus on the other side. This is going to be our largest passage, passage, so just follow along with me. We're going to skip down to verse 25 and go through 59. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, 
This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So here we see that the next day the crowd catches up with Jesus on the other side of the sea at Capernaum, and Jesus gets pretty explicit with them, right? I understand maybe that sounded like he was talking in riddles, but he's not. Jesus confronts them about what they really want from him, right? They want signs. They want another wonder for the day, like the bread that he provided the day before, and they want something bigger and something better. But but honestly, like even if they got deliverance uh, that they wanted from Rome and the restoration of Israel as a nation, those things would just be temporal, like yesterday's bread. 
because nations rise and nations fall and people live and people die. Just a physical deliverance from Rome by itself is a temporal thing. It provides nothing that's truly lasting. Jesus wants them to want something else from, from him, something even better. Jesus says it this way, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He hasn't come to give them something just temporal, but to give them life eternal. You know, it's kind of bizarre that the people then ask for another sign, specifically that they ask for bread. I mean, that's what he just did it. Like, they refer to manna, and he's like, yeah, but I just did that, right? I mean, anyways, that's weird. But again, it's the Passover feast, and the whole story is fresh in their mind. But this is where Jesus makes a huge proclamation about who he really is and what he's come for. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this statement is actually the first of seven I am statements that we'll find in the book of John. And they're very much meant by Jesus to name himself the same way that God named himself to Moses. When Moses was confronted uh, by God in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, uh, and called by him to go and let it, you know, confront Pharaoh. He said, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am. After this, there's obviously, there's some back and forth, there's some grumbling, uh, some questions about where he actually came from and what he means. But Jesus, like, gets even more explicit with the people. He starts talking to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood which seems pretty rough, sounds really grotesque, um, especially to the crowd who heard it initially, right? Side note here, in case you find it confusing, this isn't about the Lord's Supper. It's not about this thing that we do each week here. I mean, that had not even been instituted yet. That's going to come, the Last Supper comes later, the Lord's Supper comes later. That hadn't been instituted yet. Jesus wasn't telling them that now when they take bread and when they drink wine, it actually becomes his flesh and it actually becomes his blood. And if you don't eat his flesh and if you don't eat his real blood, then you're not going to be saved. That's not, that's just not what this is about. I mean, certainly the Lord's Supper and our remembrance and our proclamation of Jesus as Lord and Savior in that uh, ordinance together, that may recall some of the imagery here, but it, but the passage itself is not about the Lord's Supper. It's just not about that. No. Jesus wants them to come to him, not for temporal bread that grows from the earth that they eat, but for eternal bread that comes from heaven, which is himself. He wants them to come to him, not to sustain what is temporal only, but for what is eternal. And with these like explicit claims and these explicit images, Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, to be I am, to be from heaven, to be the bread of life, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, the ultimate Passover lamb that they only hoped for as they ate all their feasts year after year. He's claiming to have come to do more than the blood of those lambs could ever do back in Egypt when they escaped the, 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 that taking of the firstborn. He came to break the curse of death, which means that he has the ability to deal with our sin once and for all. Because sin is the thing that holds us captive 
to the curse of death. Sin is the thing we need deliverance from once and for all. And deliverance from sin is ultimately what that very first Passover was always pointing towards as a promise. That was coming. A more eternal and better deliverance was coming. And while he's claiming to be the Passover lamb, he is also claiming to be the bread of life. He's claiming to have what we need on the other side of being delivered. Life eternal. You know, manna, bread from heaven, the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Like all those things were never just about bread for this temporal body, right? So they could just live for another day. They were about Jesus always and forever giving us what we need to live each day completely trusting him with today and tomorrow and the next day and all of eternity, come what may, because he has what we ultimately need even when we don't know what that is. He will sustain us. We can trust him to sustain us more than we can trust in bread and water, which we eat and we drink for our entire lifetime, and then we die. We can trust him more. The crowds wanted Jesus for his temporal signs and wonders. They wanted him to give those temporary victories. Jesus wanted them to come to him for eternal life. Let's finish the passage. We're going to wrap this up. It's John 6, verses 60 through 71. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God? Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So in this last bit of the passage, we see that many walked away. They didn't want what Jesus was giving. They wanted something else from him. So then Jesus turns to the 12. John says that Jesus already knew that Jesus would betray him. Maybe you already know the story of Judas and that betrayal. Uh, we're going to get to it definitely further down the road in John. But Judas betrays Jesus for some silver pieces. Which begs the question, why did Judas come to Jesus in the first place? Like what did he want from Jesus? He was no different than the crowds who left, was he? Like he wanted, maybe he wanted money. Maybe he wanted something more. 
And he thought that surely Jesus, who could provide what Philip said back at the beginning of, of this chapter, was, uh, what, eight months' pay so that he could provide food for thousands of people. Surely that kind of Jesus who could do that sort of thing would bring some sort of fame or some fortune or some sort of temporal thing. He wanted something like that from Jesus. What do we want from Jesus? Are we so different from the crowds? Are we so different from Judas? When we come to church, when we come to Jesus, what do we come for? When we pray, what are we praying for? I'll be honest with you guys, sometimes I feel like a broken record because I always go back to this. Uh, But we've been praying the Lord's Prayer a lot around here, and, and I can't help it. I come back to this today. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray that, what do we want? What do we come praying? I mean, I've said it a bunch here. Uh, I think you should be honest about what you want in your prayers. I think you should be even honest about what maybe those temporal things that you wanted. But I guess the question is like, are you only coming to him for those things, for the bread? Or maybe it's for money, or maybe it's for healing, or maybe it's for him to work this out or that out. Maybe it's a work situation. All of those types of things Are you only coming to him with those things? You should come to him with those things. But ultimately, give us this day our daily bread is a reminder of Jesus, who is our daily bread. It's a reminder that Jesus is our daily bread, and he gives himself to us. And he wants us to want more than just temporal things from him. He wants us to want him to want eternal life. I think like in our prayers for bread, he wants us to find in our temporal, like physical hungry, hunger that he is our life and even death has no hold on us. In our losses, he wants us to find in our temporal grief that there is eternal comfort in him. When we're afraid, he wants us to find that he is an ultimate control and that he works all things together for our good. Jesus wants us to find what John says Peter found. Jesus asked the disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus wants us to find that he is all we could ever want or need. In him alone can we find full and lasting satisfaction, eternal life. We're going to enter into a time of response and the worship band will come and they'll lead us through this time as they do each week. It'll be a time where you can come and you can take communion with us. We're going to take the bread and we're going to dip it in the wine or the juice. And as we take this, we're remembering the body of Christ that was given, given for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And we're remembering that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he would do even in this passage, that he'd give himself for us, that he would defeat death, that he would give us eternal life. And we're proclaiming that he is Lord and Savior. And we're inviting one another to come to him. And so we're remembering and proclaiming that truth together. He has made us one family. And we come and do this. It's a proclamation 
to one another again of who he is. And so whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, if you're a Christian and you can remember and proclaim those things along with us, we would invite you to come and to take with us. It's also a time uh, during response where you can give of your tithes and offerings. There is a, b- a box right there in the back where you can drop that. You can give online as well. However you choose to do that, let's take a moment and remember God our Father. Remember Jesus who gives us all we need, our ultimate provider and sustainer. And remember that when we give that gift back to him out of obedience, it's an act of worship. It's an act of remembering who he really is in our life. Remembering that these temporal things are not what we need. All we need is him. It's a time also for prayer. If you want to pray, I'd invite you to take some time and do that, to reflect even on this, these wants, our deepest desires, and to hear a call to want what he wants for us, which is to want him, to want what is eternal more than anything else. I'm going to pray for us and we'll move into that time. Our Father, we thank you for, uh, again, just this time together, and we ultimately thank you for Jesus who has proven with his, uh, his coming to us and with his life and through his death and his resurrection. He is all we need. Death cannot defeat him. So death cannot defeat us. He has the life. And he gives it to us freely. My prayer is that you make us uh, more aware or, um, yeah, just more aware of who Jesus really is. And so in those moments of need or want, even of the the temporal things of this earth, um, 